strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. I appreciate you spending some time with the show. Obviously, we're going to have updates. Uh, a gunman killed four people. Officers arrived within three minutes of what's happened in Louisville. We're going to get to more updates as we have more information. Right now, there is not a lot of new information out there. But Jeff and the rest of the news team are working on it here at KTAR News. Download the app. Make sure you have it locked here. We will keep you informed about all of these things as the new developments come in. I want to talk a little bit. Education is always a big topic here on this show. The governor of Arizona um, has developed a task force to address the teacher shortage. And the headline says new task force has less than a year to help Hobbs fix Arizona's teacher shortage. Here's how it started. And it talks about the group said uh, we have an opportunity for the state to be a leader nationally in how we recognize support and value educators. Hobbs said this to this group. We need your ideas and your recommendations to get to that goal. Here is an issue for me. And I'm not oversimplifying. Although I am not going deep into the details and I would love to get the rebuttal, but it's hard to get the rebuttal. There is a piece of legislation being proposed by a representative named Matt Gress, who is a Republican, that would give earmark and give a $10,000 raise to teachers over a two year period. And it would be real money into the bank accounts of educators, of teachers. The problem is the definition statewide of educator is different. If you work at a school, they call you an educator. You could be a counselor. You could be an aide. You could be someone else. You could be a bus driver, I would guess. They consider you to be an educator. So people in the teachers unions, and this is not necessarily just a direct dig at the teacher organizations, the AEU, but it is a great question for anybody out there that is a teacher. If the AEU is representing you as a teacher, if you're a teacher, why is it that they're against this $10,000 raise? And part of it is it doesn't encompass enough people. The other part is they say it's unsustainable, that you can't um, – you they don't have the money long term for this. So on one hand, they say this is a bad bill because the money is unsustainable, but it's also a bad bill because it doesn't give any money to enough people. So we need to spend more money. Well, if the money they're already putting in there is unsustainable, why is it that you want to add more to it? So it's almost like they're speaking out of both sides of their face. I say this because one of the keys that the governor has talked about and others and edu- other people have said is money is the issue. Paying teachers more of a competitive wage. Here's a Republican proposing that and they are against it. So it just seems very political to me. But now we know uh, that safety um, is a big issue. This uh, this news story is up at, at KTAR.com. Staff find an individual with a gun on campus. Um, uh, individual or student, uh, you know. But uh, staff at the Betty Fairfax High School in Levine found an individual with a gun on campus Friday. The weapon was taken and all students and staff were safe, the district said. They weren't safe. There was a gun on campus Again, in the Phoenix Union High School District, at what point again, at what point does the community get outraged at this? I'm very serious here. We keep talking about mass shootings on school campuses where strangers are bringing guns on the campus or maybe it's someone that's known to the school and they're shooting up the school. But we are now seeing more and more often in the Phoenix Union High School District that students are bringing guns on campus. And there's no outrage. There's no, I mean, and there's limited media coverage. You're going to find this story at KTAR.com, but you're not going to really find it anywhere else. 
this was made public. There was a public email that came out um, that, you know, someone released the email to the public internally confirming that they found a student on campus with a gun. And that the person was taken into custody. The gun was taken into custody. The police are now investigating. This is not an isolated incident. This is why there's been outrage internally. So the governor has this task force on how you fix a teacher shortage. You got to make sure your campuses are safe. The idea that you can talk, we can argue and fight about gun control if you want till the cows come home. We can talk about that forever. That has nothing to do with a kid who already is violating gun laws by having a gun because high school kids are not allowed to own handguns, number one. Number two, it's already illegal to bring a gun on a school campus. Number three, it's illegal to brandish a gun. So these are three major felonies that have been committed by a high school student or they say an individual I was told it was a student. I guess I better make the disclaimer that it may not have been. It might have been someone that was just on campus. But you understand the point. This is not an isolated incident. It's not the first time it's happened. They still don't have school resource officers back on campus. Where's the sense of urgency? One of the committees, the safety committee in the public union high school district, um, uh, the Phoenix Union High School District, said that you should implement reinstate school resource officers on campuses. Instead of security guards, you should have cops. Do you realize that the Phoenix Police Department has a group of cops, they call them reserve officers. These are fully functioning, fully trained, fully sworn in police officers. Many of them have spent their entire career getting paid to be police officers. What they do is after they retire, they go into the reserves, much like the military. They don't get paid for their service. They are still fully functioning, fully trained, fully qualified police officers. And it's one of the biggest reserve agencies in the entire country. You mean to tell me that those men and women that still have the uniform, that still train, that still qualify all year long, they still keep up their qualifications, wouldn't be worthy people to have on these campuses to make sure they were safe? How about this for an idea? You know that hotels around town will open up one of their hotel rooms, take the beds out, take the dressers out, set it up with desks and computers so that the police agencies in that city can use that as a small substation to go in and do paperwork uh, when they have time. It's almost like a small substation. Why? Because if you got cop cars parked out front of your hotel, crime doesn't usually happen there. Why wouldn't we have with public safety buildings where they are combinations of police and fire stations, but why wouldn't we say we're going to open up offices on a school campus where police officers can do their paperwork? They can maybe muster there instead of at a precinct, but they can definitely during their shift go there to do paperwork. And you're not going to bring prisoners there, but you can go and do things there. I'm not saying this is the save all, but it's a different idea for school campuses. It could save money for individual cities, and it could also make it a bit safer because you constantly have a police presence. A school resource officer assigned to a campus and knowing that the police officers themselves will be in the parking lot or in a private office on the school campus doing paperwork when they have time. That doesn't sound like a big deal to me. In uh, at, at the Verado High School is one of the first schools in, in the Agua Fria Union High School District to install weapons detectors on campuses. Isn't this funny that you hear about leaders that say this is more guns causes more problems? Have you ever been to a Cardinals game? 
You've got state troopers. You've got Glendale cops. You have cops from multiple agencies. At the Super Bowl, there were cops everywhere. You go through a weapons detector before you're allowed to get into a Suns game, a Coyotes game, a a Cardinals game, a D-backs game. They've got weapons detectors. They've got armed people there that are police officers. But all of a sudden, school campuses, that's a sacrilege. It's an absurdity is what it is. It's an absolute absurdity. So the governor's got this task force. I'm glad she's addressing the issue. But there's a lot of these issues where there are solutions that they don't want to consider. Teacher shortages, give them a raise. Well, there's a Republican bill that would give them a raise. And they're pushing back against it. Not the governor. Members of the teachers organization. It doesn't make any sense to me. Coming up in a moment, an Oregon newspaper says homelessness, high taxes, and violence are driving people away. Could that happen here? We'll talk about it. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Here's the headline. An Oregon paper, the Oregonian, uh, laments homelessness, uh, high taxes, violence, driving residents to other states. Um, there are certain things that I would believe that all of us should agree on. And this is the where how the divide between Republicans and Democrats has widened over the years. And I would say that it's because what used to be common ground seems to not be common ground anymore. Um, and I don't think it's in the individuals. I would I, let me correct that. It's leadership where the issues lie because people tend to agree. We want safe streets. We I think most people would agree that the number one issue uh, that public that public safety is the number one issue that is governmental bodies are to deal with. That when it comes to the federal government, they may need to have a strong military protect our borders. And infrastructure. Those three things are the main responsibilities of our federal government. State government, same thing. Public safety, infrastructure, right? We would say the same thing. City of Phoenix, public safety first. Uh, Whatever city you live in, Maricopa County, public safety first. But we have seen city leadership in many of these cities put public safety to the back and and cave into a political narrative that says we're going to defund the police and we're not going to punish crime. And these people aren't criminals. We're going to help them instead of convicting them of crimes. We're going to give them a second chance. And the people that are victims are going to have to uh, take a back seat and are going to have to understand that this is a bigger crisis. Well, I'm sorry. Listen, I'm an empathetic soul. I really am. If you have a drug addiction, I would love to be a part of the solution that gets you help. But if your drug addiction leads you to commit crimes against other people that are hardworking people without an addiction, I'm sorry. I'm going to tell you that you need to pay a big price for this, including restitution. And if you're going to get help in the meantime, that's great. But you owe the people that you hurt. And I think we've moved away from that. Somehow in many of these towns, when it's an auto burglary or it's a home burglary or it's an armed robbery or a carjacking, that we are saying these people need help. If we want to end these crimes, we have to help. Well, what about the victims in the meantime? They deserve to be made whole. They deserve punishment against the person that committed a crime against them. Justice. It's called the justice system. And we've moved away from justice. 
That doesn't mean that people are irredeemable. That's another thing about who we are. We as a society hold people up in the highest regard when they've had a life of crime, when they've done the wrong thing and they've turned their lives around. And then they can be a story of success and go into young people and say, get off the road you're on so you don't do what I did. We love those kinds of stories. But it starts with punishment. It starts with paying a price for the crime you committed. Um, this leads into part of the gun control uh, argument, and is that the solution? So Greg Popovich uh, is the San Antonio Spurs head coach. He had some very harsh words for some politicians about guns. I want you to hear what he said. Lindsey Graham or Jim Jordan, whoever of them have kids or nieces or nephews or grandkids, can they imagine that happening to theirs? Are they incapable of knowing what that's like? I mean, I, I, wrote, I, I couldn't believe it, so I wrote this thing down. Senator Marsha Blackburn, her, her comment after, was, after the massacre, my office is in contact with federal, state, and local officials, and we stand ready to assist. In what? They're dead. What are you going to assist with? Cleaning up their brains off the wall? Wiping the blood off the schoolroom floor? What are you going to assist with? So the idea from people like Popovich is that it should be about gun control, that we should restrict law-abiding citizens. And this is where the argument goes sideways because he's one of the people that are guilty of this as well. There is no conversation with someone like that. What I mean by that is if I were to try to make a reasonable rebuttal to what that coach had to say, and I'm if you listen to the show, I'm pretty reasonable in my tone and I listen to other people speak. But if existing gun laws, if existing gun laws are not stopping criminals from committing crimes with guns, what would new laws do except restrict law abiding citizens who are already restricted? I would if you took away another 90 percent of the gun laws, I'm not dangerous. I'm never going to brandish a gun at someone else. You could take away 50 percent of the existing gun laws off the books. It wouldn't change a thing as far as my behavior. And I represent 99% of gun owners, legal gun owners. And when you hear people say that their answer to the problem is, and as if other people don't care as much because your solution doesn't, isn't the one I subscribe to, it kind of makes me shrug my shoulders and say, you're the one that's being adversarial in this and not listening. I would venture to say that this coach knows nothing about guns. Now, I could be wrong, but generally speaking, people that are against guns, that are in favor of gun control, have never owned a gun, have never held a gun, have never gone through the process of getting a gun, so they are Speaking from a place that is complete ignorance on the topic, and yet they believe they have the solution. And the other thing is I can appreciate their passion. I appreciate the emotion connected to it. All of this is absurd. All right. We've got to take a quick break. In a moment, uh, we're going to get uh, we're going to talk about the French president. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate you spending some time with the show. I think this is something that we all should be concerned about. I talked about this earlier in the show that uh, the president of, of France, Macron, had a meeting with President Xi of China. They, they met for about six hours in a state visit. And as he left the meeting, he made comments about the U.S. dollar. 
and how they need autonomy in France, how they don't want to be a part of World War III, which I don't think is a bad statement. But what they were basically saying is these these conflicts are not ours. We have nothing to do with this. We don't want anything to do with this. And he used an analogy about the jungle when two elephants get into a fight and endangers the rest of the jungle and all this other stuff, basically saying he wants to stay out of it between the U.S. and China. The problem with that is when it comes to Europe, France is our oldest ally. And, you know, when you look at the world and we are seeing how the stars are aligning, you are seeing China gathering people to its side. And you are seeing the Chinese along with um, um, the Iranians and the Russians and the North Koreans. And and there seems to be this what would be called the axis of evil, to use a a previous uh, term. Um, And I don't know the Chinese necessarily want a battle because their economy and our economies are so connected. And when you have a strong economy, you don't want war. But they are seeing – so much change and there, there is no doubt that the Chinese are trying to take over as the world's default currency that they believe that right now is a time for this. This is my opinion on this. It's their time to make a move to be stronger as if somehow the Biden administration has taken their eye off the ball when it comes to these things. And there's some evidence out there that leads to this. There's actually a story that questions the, the relationship between Chinese companies and the Biden family, including the president himself, does it weaken him? He's got some unique business relationships that are very, very lucrative with the Chinese, and it's concerning for a lot of Americans. And I just think part of it is the diplomacy side of this. Having a strong secretary of state, having someone that knows foreign policy and diplomacy matters. Um, I am not someone that believes that we should be the world's police force. I'm not talking about getting into military conflicts with nations around the world. But what I am saying is we know the Chinese are investing in other places. The Russians are expanding. Um, you know, look at Central America and some of the things the Chinese are doing there. I mean, look at the investment the Chinese government is making in U.S. farmland. You look at a lot of what's happening around the world, and it, at least it appears, and I may be completely wrong, but it appears if, as if they are playing chess and the Biden administration is playing checkers. That's how it looks to me, that we are focusing on gender equality and we're talking about climate change. And I'm not saying these issues aren't important issues, but they seem to take the precedent that John Kerry's role as the climate czar seems to matter more to this administration than a secretary of state or diplomats around the world that are making sure that the U.S. standing with our allies especially is as strong as ever. And, and I just am concerned about what's going on. That's just part of what's happening in our economy. We've got ports that are closing. There's um, all kinds of uh, different negotiations that are going on. Here's the fallout from this. This is a story in the Arizona Republic. The Vineyard Church in North Phoenix ran out of fresh hams at 10.50 a.m. on Wednesday with 10 minutes left before an Easter dinner giveaway was scheduled to end. A long line of cars with people still waiting for food wrapped around the building, a testament to the rising rents and soaring food prices that have put a ham dinner out of reach for many families this Easter. That's the first two paragraphs of this story. Um, I will tell you that private organizations like the Vineyard Church, and you've heard me talk about St. Mary's and everybody else that is focused on hunger is something that we all should be a part of. 
But this is a byproduct of some of the things that are happening in our economy. When you put some of these stories side by side, they don't make sense. When you hear about people that don't want to work, when there are job openings out there, but the part the problem is that we have seen inflation far outpace um, job wage growth, and so people that are there are some people. When they're and I would those are the people we would consider to be well off are people that are making good money now and they are living well within their means and price increases are annoying, but they are not life altering. And then there are other people that are working just as hard, but because of the money they're making and their obligations to their family and otherwise. They're not keeping their heads above water. And these increases in fuel prices and other food prices drive them over the edge. And this connection I've made many times between hunger and homelessness, it's not that that in the minds of most people, that's what we see. And it's not that is not how it is that there are many working families. And unfortunately, you probably work with people that deal with hunger. And if you know, they've got children and they're concerned about making their children have proper nutrition. And it, it isn't because they make poor choices with money. It's because they're running out of money before they can't pay the rent. They can't get fuel in their vehicle and they can't fill their refrigerator. They can't do all three. And they're juggling trying to figure out which of those is the one that can fall. The answer is none. If you don't pay your rent. They'll evict you. If you don't pay your electric bill, they'll shut your power off. Your water bill, they'll shut your water off. You got to put gas in your car to get to work so you can get paid to keep doing this mess. And you got to eat. And so they're turning to people, and it's just a – it was a stark reminder that when people are wrapped around a church for, for a, a ham dinner, we are living in a time where there are people making tons of money that are doing very well. I think it's those people being mindful of the issues and doing what they can makes us a stronger place. Putting it off on the government – this has always been my opinion. The government doing it is the laziest way of doing things. It's the least efficient as, as well, but it's the laziest way of doing things. I have always counted giving as a privilege. And when I have to pay more in other areas of my life um, that I can't give as much, and that I don't like that. Isn't it uh, Ramsey, Dave Ramsey, that says live like no one else so that you can give like no one else? I love that principle. But I think just saying, well, you're taking taxes out here, tax the rich, tax those rich people and just give money to people. Let's up the food assistance programs with the government. Let's do this. And this is how we're going to cure hunger. We're going to tax wealthy people. We're going to inefficiently wrap it all up in a debit card. and We're going to give you a debit card so that you can feed your family. And that's going to solve hunger. It's lazy. It is a lazy, inefficient way to do things. The way we should be doing it is when you see the Vineyards Church in North Phoenix and other organizations saying we are going to feed our community. That is I – don't, I, I don't know the Vineyards Church. I've not been there. But that's what a church is supposed to be in a neighborhood. You are supposed to see the community around you and not just look out for their spiritual needs when they decide to come and attend a church service when something bad happens. You're supposed to be a positive influence in your community and look at the needs of the people in the community around you and fill and serve those needs. That's what a strong, thriving, growing church does and other charitable organizations. That's not lazy. That's actually working for it. Coming up in a moment, Gatos is going to join me. because We had to move it because the sheriff was with me. And we're going to have the big Q poll question of the day, so stick around for it. 
The Gatos Big Q Poll Question, brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. Hey, good morning, Gatos. Hey, uh, how was your Easter? It was good. It was a good weekend. Did you uh, did you substitute the eggs for the potatoes? That's what people were doing because eggs are so expensive. No, I didn't. Um, what I actually did was um, I I hung out, you know, like I always do, and I, I, the eggs were a big part of it. And you know, it was a regular <laughs> Easter for me. Saturday at the rodeo. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Nice. Fall off a bowl? You missed my, no, you missed my story. Um, I did? Yes, I embarrassed myself mightily at the ro- at the bull riding on Saturday night in Wickenburg. Um, well, you do that every day on the air. So listen, oh, listen to what I did. I was in the arena, and I was doing the, um, in between the rounds of the bull riding, I was interviewing the leader and some of the other people. And do you watch Yellowstone? Yeah, I love it. Okay, so Lloyd from Yellowstone. Lloyd, the old guy. Yeah, Lloyd is a friend of ours. His name is Forey Smith. We've known Forey for years. Forey is an old rodeo cowboy. He used to rodeo in Arizona, so we've all known him for years. He was there with oh, us. Nice. So he was there oh, with cool. us. So I interviewed him. So I'm in the arena, and I'm running scores. In other words, I'm going between the judges and relaying the scores. So I've got my back turned to the arena, and they had not run the bull out yet. And so the bull decided to come and smoke me in the arena. And um, I jumped on the fence just in time, and he hit me with his back hip. You know, kind of hip checked me. Wait, you got hit by a bull? Yeah. Yeah. Smashed me into the fence. Oh. Oh. And then um, covered, I said, I told Sharp earlier this morning, covered the left side of my sports coat and my jeans in what looked like guacamole. Oh, my God. Now, it didn't taste like guacamole. No, it did not. <laughs> but it, yeah. So, oh my God. so I was embarrassed, and I was laughing at myself for being such an idiot and turning my back to the arena. It's just the, the, you oh. never do that. And so oh. uh, they started making fun of me, and I said, "Look!" And I got a a half of a Biden speech all over my jacket, and everybody <laughs> laughed at that instead of laughing at me. And I felt a little better. Uh, you knew what kind of type of crowd you were in. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You, I knew my audience. Yeah. When you get embarrassed like that in front of a crowd like that, then you pull out the Biden joke. Absolutely. And fortunately, those are pretty easy. Those are easy. I what, saw the bull of Democrat. Is that why it whacked I, I think so. I think so. Um, <laughs> it's funny because oh um, I saw some of your pictures. I saw your, on your wife's Instagram some of your pictures. Your Easter looked amazing. Look, you guys had a great time. We had a good time celebrating Easter. We had about 24 people over. Uh, yeah, we had a really good, really good time. Weather was beautiful. It was 92 degrees yesterday. It was very nice. I just didn't get hit by a bull this weekend. I'm kind of, uh, kind of unfortunate. Yeah, that is. Did you want? Did you watch the Masters? Yes, I did. Well, here's the cue. It's on the Masters. Tiger Woods had to withdraw from the Masters due to injury. Mm-hmm. He has plantar fasciitis. Now, I must say, I also have plantar fasciitis. It's not fun, but. You know, how bad is your plantar fasciitis that you have to leave the Masters? I've had I it, don't know. I've had it so bad once, I didn't know what it was. I had never had it before. Yeah. And it right. I got it in both feet. It's bad. It is it's horrible. Bad. I couldn't but even... I could, athlete, it's Tiger Woods for crying out loud. You know, it's, it's plantar fasciitis. You put on a different shoe and then you move. I don't know, man. Mm-hmm. Then you know what? You're tougher than I thought you were because when I had plantar fasciitis, I was walking on my heels. I couldn't even touch the ball of my foot to the floor, and it was like right. that for days. It was. I couldn't imagine swinging a golf club. It's and it's not for days. It lasts months and months. You've it got to can. Get treatment for it. Yeah, I was you able know, to. Yes. I was able to get rid of it in about a week. 
Oh, I don't know if that's plantar fasciitis. No, it was. It was. You know, I had that boot. You ever seen that weird boot you tie on when you sleep? Yeah, I have to wear that. Yeah, I did that too, and it it helped me. About a week later, it went away. Well, I ask, is it time for Tiger to retire? Uh, A, yes, the car wreck caused too many serious injuries. That's part of it. I mean, he's got bad wheels already. Uh, And then B, uh, no, he's Tiger. You know, maybe he can just uh, rest up and, and come back. I don't know, man. I, it's almost like watching, you know, uh, an athlete in, in, you know, football not able to, to, to do what they did or, or, or baseball. I know golf is a little bit different. It's not necessarily a physical sport, but it just looks like it is time for him to kind of hang it up. I don't think, I don't think he's, I don't think he's got the legs anymore. Now he's got the feet problem. You know, he's got women breaking the back of his, you know, his truck and the windshield. Maybe it's just time to go away. They, you know, they they say that it is um, that that plantar fasciitis. The worst part of it is walking, and that the other part for Tiger was it wasn't so much the swing most of the time; it was the walking. Was the walking. So by you yeah. know by day three, day four, he is just not capable. Right. But I I hate to see him go because I just he still makes the sport more exciting as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, just just by bringing his name, you know, to any tournament, it makes it more exciting. But you know, with with plantar fasciitis, I mean, you should be able to you should be able to get a certain type of um, of an insole and be able to walk. And I wonder if this is something new. I don't think it's something new. I just wonder why. I get the leg that he was in an accident, but plantar fasciitis. You can you know when you get up in the morning and you work on a hard walk on a hard surface, that's when it's bad. Yeah, but, you know. If he can get the right soul, and sure, he should be fine. But I just think it's—I—I—I I, I think he might be thinking it's time to hang it up. Yeah, and what's nice about his his career and and his name is that he can pick and choose, and it's okay. People just want to see him. So if he played in the Masters, I don't think he wants to be a novelty, though. I think in his mind, he wants to feel that when he goes out there on Thursday, he feels like he still has a chance. He's just not one of the old timers out there that they're applauding right. for what you used to do. I think. I think that's going to be yeah. what's harder for him. Yeah, I think if he is up to it, then he should keep going. But these athletes, when they know they can't do it anymore, they're one of two people. I'm going to do it for as long as I possibly can, or I see the writing on the wall, and it's time for me to go. And I don't want to be remembered for the old guy that couldn't do it anymore. Yeah, and so it's up to him how he wants to see his legacy, you know, end up. Well, it's a great question, and it's good to talk with you. And I'm looking forward to talking to you again tomorrow. Are you standing up for most of the day after getting rear-ended, or are you still sitting down? <laughs> no, I'm sitting down. You're sitting down. Okay. I yeah. just want to make sure that rear-end is okay. No, okay. I'm good. Thanks, man. Okay. All right. See you. All right. That's Gatos. The BQ poll question today is brought to you by the Valley Toyota dealers. Coming up, we'll talk about Walter Reed and the culture war next.